Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Danny Manning of Wake Forest got a big win last night over Duke. Also beat the Tar Heels recently in Winston-Salem. He's our guest live in 30 minutes. Joining us now is one of our favorite bracketologists. You can find his bracket regularly updated at CBSSports.com. What happens to the On the Bubble Wolfpack after their loss in Chapel Hill? What about Duke's seed? How many teams will the ACC get in? And a whole lot of other questions. You can follow him on Twitter at, C- at JPPalmCBS. Jerry Palm, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing well. I watch your, I read sometimes your talk to the palm, very creatively named uh, mailbag, and I often see conspiracy theories. So before we dive into this <laughs> year's bracket, in all seriousness, you've been through simulations of what the committee does. You, of course, yeah. have a great track record for telling us what to expect, et cetera. Have you ever found any reason to believe that the committee favors brand names or big names in any way, or do you believe they just do their best job to give the objective uh, uh, candidates for the at-large positions? Oh, no. The, the, if, if the name on the front of the jersey doesn't mean anything. The name on the back of the jersey doesn't mean anything either for people who think that you have to have star players in the tournament. Um, but I, I offer this up as evidence. Kentucky was the overall number one seed in the net about four or five years ago. I want to say it was right after they had won a championship, okay. I believe. So, you know, if you're the overall number one seed in the net or the NIT, I'm sorry, <laughs> I get my, I get my, uh, N acronyms confused sometimes. Uh, the NIT, they were the number one overall seed in the NIT, which means they were the first team out of the tournament. Right. Um, so having Kentucky on the front of the jersey didn't help much then. Indiana, by the way, uh, one of the first teams out last year as well. It, it's just, it doesn't matter. I'm such a big fan of people who actually follow evidence on such things rather than coming up with cockamamie theories. One of the reasons we love having Jerry Palm on. All right, here's another philosophical question. You know in our backyard, NC State does have that 5-4 and four record in quad one games. Only Florida State has five quad one victories among other ACC teams, and only Duke has a winning record in such games beyond those two in the ACC. And yet the Wolfpack has these ugly losses, including twice to the last-place Tar Heels. Have we ever figured out what means more to the committee, big wins or bad losses? Is there any way to quantify that? No, not really. They all mean something. Uh, you know, North Carolina State, whatever their record is against quadrant one teams, not all quadrant one teams are the same, right? They've beaten two teams that are going to the tournament and a third that probably will go. And that's it. They've lost to three teams out of 11 losses, three teams that are going to the NCAA tournament. That means they've got eight losses to teams that aren't. That's a big, bad number. And I don't care what quadrant they're in, but they're in three different quadrants. So, you know, that's, that's just not, at this point in time, not going to get it done. They have to quit losing to teams that hurt them, and they've got a lot more of that than they have meaningful wins. The last bracket of yours I saw was, I believe, kind of overnight Sunday into Monday. Yeah, Monday. Uh, State was among the last four in at that point. So a, right. a loss last night clearly takes them from barely on the right side of the bubble in your eyes to somewhere on the wrong side of the bubble. How do you quantify, you know, how many teams are they fighting to get back to the right side as uh, they have oh, what, at, at Duke and then two home games? Yeah, a lot of people sort of misconstrue the bubble as the last four in and the first four out, and it's significantly larger than that, uh, even at this time of year, although it shrinks as the days go by. But uh, because the bubble is basically teams that have some realistic shot of playing their way in or playing their way out. And 
you know, NC State still has some shot of playing their way in, so they'd still be on the bubble, but they'd be on the wrong side of the cut line for sure if I was doing a bracket today. A lot of teams play tonight and tomorrow. So we'll see what happens when I do a bracket on Friday, but I was not set on North Carolina State being in it, and they have to quit losing to teams like North Carolina and then, you know, try and beat teams that can help them. But, you know, in the ACC this year, the list of teams that can hurt you is significantly greater than the right. list of teams that can help you. Yeah. Jerry Palm- but they do have games left. Yeah. Uh, at least a game at Duke, right, True. with a team that can help them. Well, and he- then there's – it's It's interesting because both of what you just mentioned is going to be in play here over the final three regular season games because Pitt and Wake Forest, uh, all due respect to both, their teams that you're supposed to beat when you get them on your home court as the Wolfpack has them here soon. And then the trip to Duke, I mean, I I saw them beat the Devils by 22 in Raleigh, but I I don't think anybody is betting on them repeating that at Cameron. In fact, if I were going to bet, I would bet Duke over 22. I would bet Duke giving 22. Yeah, perhaps. The Devils have been setting some records this year with their 30-point-style victories. So let's let's pretend that State wins the two they're supposed to win and loses the one it's supposed to lose. So that would be 19-12. 10 and yep. 10, you've always reminded us, you know, your conference-specific record t- truly does not matter other than the way it affects your overall record. It would be 19 and 12, I believe, 10 and right. 10 in conference play. A- and that just sounds like you better prove something in Greensboro, right? Yeah, going to have to. Absolutely. Going to have to. Yeah. I mean, that, that, what, what you just described is basically treading water, and you're already underwater. Yes. So, um, yeah, that's that's like a bare minimum thing. That That's not doing damage, any further damage to yourself, which if you're NC State, that's, that would be useful to stop doing damage to yourself. In the bigger um, – but yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. So you were, you were talking about conference. Uh, just as a reminder, you know, here's how important conference performance is. Your conference record is not on the team sheet. Your conference standing is not on the team sheet. Your conference name is not on the team sheet. That They care nothing about your conference. Beyond that, what are some other myths that you know? And when Jerry says the team sheet, he's talking about something those folks are holding in their hands in that selection committee room. What are some of those? The page of data that they look at when they're considering teams. What are the other myths out there about what is or is not considered by the committee? Well, I would say that uh, another big one out there is that it's all of this analytic stuff. You know, you get your – it's true with the RPI. It's still true with the net. You've got Ken Palm and Sagarin and – um, K, uh, uh, KPI and stuff like that. Those, those those rankings actually do appear on the team sheet. There are okay. six of them that appear on the team sheet, but they're not used in a decisive manner. If all you have is analytics, you have nothing. Um, we see teams, I mean, you know, NC State last year was in the top third. They were the highest rated team left out last year, and they were in the high 30s, or the low 30s, I'm sorry, uh, of the net last year. Uh, you know, we see uh, like uh, Wichita State was in the top 10 of Ken Palm and other predictive metrics in 2017 and had to win their conference tournament to get in and was a 10 seed despite being in the top 10 of those metrics. I mean, there's outliers all the time. So if that's all you have, if you're two spots higher in the ranking in some metric, that's absolutely meaningless. It's not really about the metrics at all. We talk occasionally with Brian Kersey, who supervises the ACC basketball officials, and he'll sometimes say, hey, man, when my phone rings and it's an ACC coach on the other line, it's rarely good news, right? Like, you know, <laughs> people don't call you to tell you how great your officials are doing. Uh, in yeah, ent- in sure. entries for the talk to the Palm mailbag, 
are there still people curious looking for your expertise or is it like twitter where it feels like most people are angry most of the time uh, no actually it's all it's almost all people looking for uh, unfortunately it's a lot of questions i can't answer uh questions of the order you know like some NC State fan would send something in and say, well, if we just beat Pitt and Wake Forest and we win two games in our conference tournament, are we in? Yeah. Okay, so the, the, the primary problem is that assumes it's only about you. Um, and it's not because it depends on what all the teams around you are doing. But it also, you know, you're, if we win two games in a conference tournament, it doesn't tell me who you're playing in the right. conference tournament. Right. And ultimately who beats you. And those are the things that are really important in your conference tournament because you could play three games against teams that could hurt you and you lost one of them. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's way too vague, not nearly enough information to answer those questions, even at this time of year. Although I did an- answer a question like that in today's mailbag because uh, it was a much simpler thing to answer. Current members of the ACC have won six of the last 11 NCAA titles. And Louisville has shown some warts. Duke has shown some warts. Florida State has different questions. When you just put aside your bracketologist hat and just watch basketball as a longtime lover and observer of the game, uh, who are your best candidates to win this thing beyond your bracketology? Well, if I were going to pick a team right now, I'd pick Kansas. But I don't think they're an overwhelming favorite by any means. I don't think anybody's an overwhelming favorite. I just think that there's a lot of really good teams out there. You mentioned three of them. You know, the ACC could win the title again this year, uh, even though the rest of the league beyond those three is, is you know, pretty soft, uh, historically soft, I would say, for this league. They still have three teams capable of winning the tournament. Um, but if I were picking right now, I'd pick Kansas. Uh, I like Baylor and Gonzaga a lot, too. But, you know, San Diego State, Dayton, you know, the three teams at the top of the ACC, Kentucky certainly has the talent. I, I, I wouldn't rule out Michigan, who was really good before Isaiah Livers got hurt. Uh, and now that he's healthy, it's starting to look like that team again. And they'll probably be seated like as a four or a five maybe. So, I mean, I think there are teams that – I think it's a deep list of teams this year that are capable of winning it, the whole thing. As we let you go, what's the schedule for new brackets moving forward? I mean, at some point, do you do it every 24 hours? Yeah, um, I'll do one Friday, and then uh, beginning Monday, uh, daily, if there's a change. There won't necessarily be a change every, every day, right. but daily, um, as it, if there's a change. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports. Just Google Bracketology and his name or CBS or both. Follow him on Twitter at JP Palm CBS. Thanks, as always, for the wisdom and expertise, Jerry. Appreciate your time on the David Glenn Show. All right, thanks. You got it. Danny Manning of Wake Forest live in less than 20 minutes. Room for your calls. College basketball, bracketology, March Madness. The Blue Devils have lost two of their last three games. At unranked state, at unranked Wake Forest last night. Where do the Devils go from here? NC State has been swept by the Tar Heels, as they often are, but this time by a Carolina team that did so from the ACC basement. Where does the Wolfpack go from here? Meanwhile, the Tar Heels and the Deeks are celebrating rare victories. You can chime in from any of those big four perspectives with your question, comment, or complaint. 1-800-849-2761. The NBA headlines involve Kobe White and Zion Williamson, among others. The NFL headlines include the Combine, and an 11-year proposal that if signed by enough NFL players today would provide for 
labor piece through the 2030 season. Huge offseason for NFL fans. The current CBA, if they just choose to keep that, remember, does expire one year from right now, and that would put in jeopardy the labor piece that both sides are striving for right now. The Canes lost last night at home to the really hot Dallas Stars with some new faces and names in the lineup. Sarah Sivian is going to join us in 45 minutes to talk some hockey post-trade deadline. Maria Sharapova has retired as one of the most financially successful female athletes ever. Also a pretty good tennis player, five-time Grand Slam singles champion. She retired and announced that this morning at the age of 32. one 800 849-2761. You can chime in on those headlines or ask a question or comment. You can answer our question of the day on College Hoops. Is it somebody else's turn to win the national championship? Have you seen enough warts in Duke and Louisville and Florida State to think that the ACC, after winning six of the last 11, is simply not going to get it done this time? You can chime in on that by dialing 1-800-849-2761. And a little bit off the beaten trail, I have not seen this before, although I'm told it's happened in one or two other cases. There is a top-level professional sports team right now offering to pay the public transportation costs of its fans that travel to their home games. Supposedly, this has already been attempted. I haven't seen it. But now there's another team offering it. More on that story with more of your calls, college hoops and otherwise. 1-800-849-2761 on the David Glenn Show. Dean in Wilmington, you're up on the David Glenn Show. The NCAA book on violations is so sick Superman has trouble carrying. This is true. However, it's not buried into the small print in the back that you're not allowed to drive luxury cars that aren't yours. Okay? <laughs> Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. College basketball is on our minds. Some NBA, some NFL, some NHL. Danny Manning of Wake Forest live in less than 10 minutes. Sarah Sivian on the NHL in about 40 minutes. Maria Sharapova, the Russian tennis superstar and supermodel, has retired at the age of 32. I'm intrigued by the pushback that she got during parts of her career where even some women criticized her for cashing in on her look, basically. If you want to criticize her for getting caught using a banned substance, which did happen, she had a two-year ban from the sport that she got reduced on appeal to it was 15 months. She served that suspension in part of the 2016 calendar year, part of the 2017 calendar year. She came back, she did some other good things, but she hasn't won a major since 2014. And she hasn't even really been relevant in a major over these last couple years. So she retires. And the large bulk of the money she made was in endorsements. But she's the second most financially successful female athlete of all time, largely because she cashed in on her look. I mean, she had her own candy company. She was a glamour supermodel girl in a lot of different contexts. She had people tripping over each other to ask her to be a spokesperson. The question I ask of the, if you call her a cheater, all right, I get it. That's a reason to be skeptical. Christine Brennan of USA Today, one of our columnists that visits us from time to time, flat out wrote, Maria Sharapova is a cheater. 
like the Russian government cheating in our elections, like the Russian sports machine cheating in the Olympics and in all other sports contexts that you can imagine. I mean, it's truly a disgraceful track record for that country in sports or in politics or in anything else. Truly disgraceful, and the evidence is overwhelming for anyone who's willing to pay attention to it. Sure enough, although Maria Sharapova has kind of had a dual existence living in Florida part of the year, California part of the year. She's always been a Russian citizen. She didn't change that. And sure enough, she got caught using a banned substance. She claimed confusion. She claimed some missing emails where she didn't get the message. That's something that she had been using for a long time for, she said, medical reasons had gone from not being banned to being banned. And she just kind of said it got lost in the translation. They didn't fully believe every argument she gave, but they did reduce her suspension. The pushback that I don't get is, what is Maria Sharapova supposed to do? As we come to your calls, Duke falling at Wake, State losing in Chapel Hill to the Tar Heels for the second time losing to Carolina. Even the basement dweller Tar Heels beat the Wolfpack again, 85-79 there. It was 113-101, Deeks over Devils in double overtime. Duke blew a nine-point lead with a minute and a half to go in regulation. Rand, uh, Brandon Childress, son of Randolph, one of the stars, Danny Manning joining us shortly to discuss the game and also the celebration in the aftermath. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful was the name of an ad campaign a long, long time ago. If you were Maria Sharapova, I understand in the broader context, heck, man, I have a lot of female colleagues in the sports writing community and they will remind all of us of the outrageous level of sexism that still exists in American society, right? Somebody disagrees with me, they come after me, they say bad things on Twitter, whatever, message boards. You know how I feel about people who offer strong opinions without doing their homework or their research. I don't care about your opinion if you haven't done your homework. You've got to earn your way into me caring what you think about anything I do. If you're not paying attention and you take lazy, ignorant, cheap shots, why should I care? But you come after me, however ignorant or accurate you might do it, you're coming after me at least theoretically on whatever was said or written by me as a sports radio host and a writer. If you're a female and a member of the sports media, I'm not saying every listener, every reader is this way, but in huge numbers, they're going to take the shot at the female TV person, the female sports writer, going after some photo they found of her on the internet and talking about whatever, her body, her clothes, her hair, her... It, I mean, it's just, it's just rampant, and it's outrageous on social media. And in the end, they shouldn't have to apologize for what they wear, how they look, whether they dress up, dress down, or anything in between. Same with Maria Sharapova. What is she supposed to do as someone who happens to be Beauty being a subjective thing, right? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Why would you respect her less when she's a five-time Grand Slam singles champion? She has clearly earned her way into the spotlight, right? Even before the doping controversy, she had done those things. Five-time Grand Slam singles champion. Venus Williams only has seven, so there's a level of respect that she has earned as a tennis player. And she happens to meet most people's definition of beauty, right? <laughs> so what are you supposed to do? Say, no, I'm a woman, and in the name of feminism, I'm not going to cash in on my physical beauty or my face or my legs or my clothes or whatever? 
I thought the whole feminism thing was if you want to dress up and be beautiful and even be compensated for that part of what you have to offer, go right ahead. She earned her way into the tennis world. She was more successful than most remember as a tennis champion. And she became a mega gazillionaire, second wealthiest female athlete in any sport ever behind only Serena Williams, her contemporary in the tennis world. She, got, she made a lot more of that money as a businesswoman than she did as a tennis player. Why is that a bad thing? Why is that a worthy of criticism thing? If she wants to play up her looks or play down her looks, why shouldn't she have that choice? I've never understood that part. As a law school student, I saw the full feminist spectrum. And I never understood those who said a woman should never capitalize on beauty as if that was a bad thing. Why? Why would you carve out looks as you can be famous for your brains and that's okay. You can be well received for your sense of humor and that's okay. You can be a rocket scientist and that's okay. But if you try to cash in on your beauty, somehow you're sacrificing the feminist movement. What the hell is that? What kind of logic is that? Thankfully, there were some sane feminists in those same classes, and they spoke up in disagreement when somebody like Maria Sharapova would be called out as like a traitor because a lot of her wealth was built on the basis of her looks. Still doesn't make sense to me, and law school was a long time ago. 1-800-849-2761. Your calls on those matters later. Danny Manning of Wake Forest next. The sixth-year Demon Deacons coach still appears to be on his way to his fifth losing campaign in his six years as the Deeks head coach, but just in recent weeks, the Heels traveled awake, and Wake beats them. The Devils last night traveled awake, and Wake beats them. Brandon Childress was one of the star players. Danny Manning had his signature on that victory as well. He joins us next on The David Glenn Show. Mike Krzyzewski joining us. We asked folks you work with at Duke if you've changed or mellowed over the years. Well, you know, mellow is having a glass of wine and looking over, you know, the sunset, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't see how you can be mellow and coach a game. That can't happen. If it does, then you shouldn't be coaching. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest was a national champion as a player for the Kansas Jayhawks. He grew up here in North Carolina, signed with the Jayhawks, and in 1988, he was not only the star player on those national champions, he was the most outstanding player at the Final Four as the Jayhawks cut down the nets. Since his playing days, college and pro, of course, he moved into the coaching ranks, took Tulsa, to the NCAA tournament uh, about six years ago and was hired by the Wake Forest Demon Deacons here in ACC country. Recently, his Deeks beat the Tar Heels in Winston. Last night, his Deeks beat the Devils in Winston. Danny Manning, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. How did uh, you guys beat the Blue Devils when a minute and a half left down nine, Coach? I don't think the probability for success is very high. What was your message to the guys, and how did they respond in style? Well, our message to the guys and the guys' messages to themselves was continue to grind and find a way. And, um, you know, we just want to take it one possession at a time and execute what we needed to on the defensive end, the offensive end. And our guys just continue to grind and grind and put ourselves in a situation where, you know, tie it up, tie it up. And then in that second overtime, um, offensively, we hit our stride and, and started making some shots and created a little separation. But our guys just continued to battle 
and fight, and I'm extremely, you know, proud of that effort to come away with a win against a very talented Duke team. Your senior guard, Brandon Childress, started poorly but ended up spectacularly, and he shared with the media coach, I'm never sure how much of this makes its way in front of you, but through tears, he talked about members of his own family doubted whether he could ever play in the ACC, but you believed in him. Of course, his dad, uh, Randolph, believed in him. To, to what degree can you share whatever emotion you saw from Brandon last night or even the rest of that locker room or postgame scene? Well, I think for Brandon in particular, you know, we've, I've known him the longest out of anybody on our roster, um, you know, because when I took the job, he was in high school, so we had two years to recruit him in high school, and spent a lot of time talking to him and visiting with him and uh, you know his growth as a player has been kind of what it was in my era in my day from the standpoint you come in as a freshman and you get a little taste of it sophomore year you get a little bit more junior year you get the key to the cards the starting point guard and senior year you know you're, you're a focal point and um, yeah he didn't give up to a great start in terms of scoring the basketball, but his leadership, his presence out there on the court gave us a chance. And I even went back to him early, I mean, in the second half when he had two fouls because I trusted him to play with two fouls. And um, down the stretch, he made plays for us. He got guys in spots. Um, the way that Duke was playing their defense, they were changing up their defenses like, you know, Coach K does, you know, terrific coach. And we were able to get some matchups that we wanted. And, and Brandon went and made some tough plays. We had other guys do some really good things also. But, you know, the shots that Brandon made down the stretch of the game are shots we've seen him practice. I've seen him practice millions and millions of times. And so we know he puts in the work, and we just felt, and I felt it was just a matter of time before he started making shots. And um, to his credit, he stayed after it and he made shots. But, you know, overall, it was a great team win. I thought we had contributions from a lot of different guys. Jacoby Neef, I thought, was outstanding for his second start of his college career to come in and, and play the game that he played. He really helped us get off to a terrific start also. Danny Manning is joining us, the sixth-year Wake Forest coach. You can follow him on Twitter, at Coach D. Manning. He posted some cool uh, video and audio, among other things, just last night after the Deeks' 113-101 to win over number 7 Duke in double overtime there at the Joel, which has had uh, a lot of exciting nights lately. I don't know if you can even give us a number, Coach, but it was really neat to see that video. I imagine the game ends, you'd go to the handshake line, you have your media responsibilities just celebrate with the guys in the locker room I don't even know what time it was by the time you were surrounded outdoors by all those wake fans and supporters how often do you get to celebrate that way and, and what was your message to those who have kind of stuck with you through some uh, tough times and wanted to celebrate with you last night well yeah I mean after the game we handle our media, our media responsibilities and uh, you know Take a take a little time to decompress for a moment, and then got a chance to to ride the campus with my wife and my son, and went up on the quad. And um, we had a lot of fans, a lot of our students, a lot of our um, student athletes. Um, our football team was spectacular, leading the cheers and being very supportive, along with all of our other students. And it was just a fun moment. And uh, for us, it was just to acknowledge the presence of our, our, our students and of our supporters and just say, thank you. We appreciate you. We, you know, none of this happens without your support. And, um, you know, we feel like this is what makes Wake Forest so special. We're a close knit community, close knit school, and uh, we need to look out, support and love one another. And I thank them. And then I left um, because um, it was, 
there was a party going on up there. I'm pretty sure they had a lot of fun. <laughs> Did they roll the quad, and were you one of the throwers? The quad was rolled when I got there. Okay. Um, I took my roll of toilet tissue, and I made a feeble attempt to throw it into the trees, but my shoulders are not what they used to be, so it didn't go too high. But, yeah, I, I can say I participated in rolling the quad to a certain extent. That's very cool. Danny Manning joining us as a player. He was part of Danny and the Miracles way back with the Kansas Jayhawks, longtime NBA player and high draft pick, of, of course, the sixth-year head coach of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. You have senior night or senior day. I guess it's a 4 o'clock tip, so you could call it either one against Notre Dame on Saturday. I know you also have two transfers that you're celebrating along with Brandon Childress. But just to take another step on a story that you referred to a little bit earlier, it is unique or unusual at least, Coach. You know, we had uh, your assistant Randolph Childress as a guest on our show recently. Uh, Brandon has been a four-year success story for you. Uh, how do you capsulize the, the emotions that will be in play as you not officially say goodbye, but you honor, you know, three seniors in their last uh, regular season home game for the Deeks? Well, you know, um, Whenever you have, you know, your senior night or your senior day, it, it's always an emotional time. And it's all, but it's a celebration. It's a celebration of years of hard work and, and dedication to a program, to a team, to your craft. And it's, you know, to me, you hate to see the guys go, but you're happy to see them go because they get to use all the experiences that they learned with you and at the university and, and all those relationships. They get to move to a, a different realm, a different chapter. And we're happy and excited to see what is in store for those guys. Tori and Andrew come in as transfer guys and fifth year players and, and their uh, contribution to the program has been invaluable in terms of the experience and, and the leadership that they brought. Um, and so you're definitely going to miss them. Brandon has been here his whole career. Um, not too many people put themselves in a situation that Brandon willingly put himself in where you follow someone's yeah. footsteps and your father that is one of the greatest players ever play here. And for him to, to come in here and want to shoulder that load um, speaks volumes to the type of character that, that he has as a young man and the type of fight and determination. So it's going to be emotional for me. I'm going to shed a tear without question. I'm going to miss all three of those guys. Um, I, I know I will see them around quite a bit, especially Brandon. Um, so it'll be hard for all of us, but it's also a celebration. And so once that celebration is over, we got to lock in and get focused on a, a very talented, great shooting team at Notre Dame. Danny Manning is with us. In 1988, you had your own senior day. When we think nowadays of guys with your resume, I mean, number one overall pick in the NBA draft, national champion with the Jayhawks, you know, guys of your caliber don't get senior days very much anymore. Do you – I know it's – ask. I'm, I'm about your age, Coach, so I know how hard it can be to remember things from 30-plus years ago. But uh, yeah. what, what is vivid about whatever your senior night looked like at in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, as you, of course, were not only just another senior, you were one of the greatest seniors in Kansas basketball history? Well, I remember walking out on the court with my family um, and just trying to take in the moment. You know, looking in the stands and seeing um, my friends, looking in the stands and seeing the different people that have supported me and helped me get to that point um, on my journey. 
and, and just kind of wanting to acknowledge them and let them know that I appreciated them and thank them for everything that they did to help me get to that situation. And uh, that that's probably what I remember the most. Um, it, it's very uh, overwhelming, the amount of support that you get on, on those types of uh, games or, or events. And, um, you know, you got to take in all that, and then you got to get refocused and, and get ready for the game. But it's it's always a beautiful moment to be able to just reflect back on your journey, where you've come from, and hopefully, you know, the direction and, and the path that, that you're headed. And you know that the experiences that we had, um, our senior class for four years helped prepare us for life, and very thankful and grateful for those. Since the last time we spoke with you, Wake Forest basketball had a really cool celebration. And you're, of course, used to being in all the spotlights, good and bad. But you kind of got to step off to the side a little bit as Dave Odom was honored with a banner in the rafters. He was a recent guest of ours as those 1995 ACC champions were honored. Uh, Randolph, again, was a recent guest of ours. We couldn't get Timmy D on the show, Coach. He's always a little bit elusive that way. Uh, But what was it like to just sort of be out of the spotlight personally but to be able, I guess, to absorb some of the great moments in Wake Forest basketball history with some of the same folks that uh, were cheering you on as uh, you beat Duke last night. It was it was a great celebration. It was a great couple of days. We had our former players come in, and we had a, a, a dinner with them the night before. Um, they were around the next day, and just – for them to, to share their story with our current players about what Wake means to them, how important this experience was to them was great. And uh, we really, really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, for me, it's I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy the history and tradition of former players coming back and, and giving back to the current players and, and sharing that love and having that bond and that connection. And Coach Odom has been outstanding. He's been outstanding. You know, from the day that I accepted this job, he's been extremely supportive. He comes by practices on a regular basis. We love having him at practice. So um, it was a cool event, and I was glad to have a be a part of it and, um, you know, look forward to, to being a part of that celebration down the road, um, hopefully one day. Last thing for you, Coach. Danny Manning on Twitter, at Coach D. Manning. Remember, it's senior day slash night on Saturday against Notre Dame. As Coach mentioned, the Deeks still have a couple of regular season road trips as well before everybody heads to Greensboro, including us, for the ACC tournament. The Deeks will be at Carolina next Tuesday and then at NC State to close the regular season that Friday. Uh, you know the deal that some Wake fans are just frustrated that you know, despite this success and these wins over the Devils and the recently uh, you have a losing record it's going to be tough to make a postseason uh, visit this year again uh, what is your message to them as uh, some are patient some are not but uh, you know you've got games to play and uh, in year six of your contract with the Deeks we're excited about the momentum we've created with this last game now we've got to continue to follow that up with a couple good days of practice and we get ready for our next game and that, that's the mindset. You know, we're going to focus in and we want to be playing our best basketball going into the ACC tournament. And, um, you know, when you get to ACC postseason tournaments in general in, in March, you know, there's opportunities for great things to happen. And so we're trying to prepare for that, and um, we're excited. You know, I look at our roster, and we lose three very talented seniors, but, you know, we, we've got quite a bit of talent veteran experience, talent returning, and um, looking forward to the incoming class 
to add a little bit more to that influx of young men that we have, and we're excited about the future. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to finish out the season on a strong note. Danny Manning, congrats on the wins, Coach, and thanks, as always, for your time here on the David Glenn Show. Uh, take care. Thank you. You got it. On Twitter at Coach D Manning, 113-101, Deeks over Devils. Devils in double overtime. Duke coughed up a nine-point lead with a minute and a half to go. The Wake fans were still into it. More importantly, the Wake players were still into it. Brandon Childress overcame that slow start with a fantastic finish, including at the end of regulation and in those overtimes. Duke takes a step back. Deeks get a big win. Carolina beats the Wolfpack. The Wolfpack falls back probably to the wrong side of the bubble, as Jerry Palm and others have said. We're going to switch to hockey in about 15 minutes. Sarah Sivian is going to join us. She covers the NHL and the Hurricanes for The Athletic Carolina, a website to which I am also a contributor. Hockey with Sarah later. More of your calls. Maria Sharapova and her retirement. College basketball. Duke falling at Wake. State falling at Carolina. NBA headlines include including those for Zion Williamson and Kobe White. And the NFL combine continues with players we know well in these parts joining the likes of Joe Burrow and Tua Tunga-Veloa and Justin Herbert and 14 other college quarterbacks who are on their way to the NFL. 1-800-849-2761. More of those headlines with more of your phone calls. And that one story I promised, I have not seen this before, but a top-level professional sports team is offering to pay the public transportation costs of its fans traveling to its home games, regardless of whether they're just a single game participant or a season ticket holder. That interesting story with more of your calls next on The David Glenn Show. The David Glenn Show, where the great guests have so much fun, they never want to leave. I'll come give you a pep talk before your next show if you need me to. We could use that from you, Webb Simpson, anytime. Hey, I'll be your intern after this. this is everything open, man. We'll take Joe Harris as an intern every day <laughs> and twice on Sunday. Listen weekdays to The David Glenn Show. David Glenn show we do have lines open for the first time in a long time NFL NBA NHL I was there last night as the Canes lost to the Dallas Stars I watched the highlights of Duke's loss at Wake Forest appreciate Danny Manning for dropping by I watched the second half of UNC's win over NC State thanks to Jerry Palm for offering his updated bracketology you can be next with your question or comment I have a few tweets that I want to squeeze in Renee writes that she is a lifelong NC State fan quote it really gets old depending on other teams to lose in order for us to get into the big dance I would love for us to control our destiny a little more often that's Renee chiming in at David Glenn show on Twitter Joel writes DG two losses to UNC the dead last team in a 15-team league? NC State doesn't deserve to get into the NCAA tournament. That is NIT-level play at best. And Roger chimes in as we welcome your calls, 1-800-849-2761. Also on the Wolfpack's loss in Chapel Hill, Carolina 85, State 79. NC State is their own worst enemy, he writes. Markel Johnson's inconsistency is a major problem. But their situational awareness and basketball IQ leave me speechless at times, too. If this program ever wants to be taken seriously, they have to get more of a warrior mentality. Those are just some of the 
handful of tweets from recent moments uh, on Twitter at David Glenn Show. If you'd like to add to those or take us to elsewhere in college basketball land, you can do so by dialing up 1-800-849-2761. Sarah Sivian on the NHL in the Canes in less than 10 minutes. The Canes lost last night, but Caniacs got a look at two of their new acquisitions. Centerman Vinny Trocek looked pretty good from my perspective. Rinkside with some soccer dads last night at PNC Arena. Brady Shea did not look very good. The young defenseman acquired at the deadline as well looked like a guy who didn't know or understand the Kane system. That is not reach for the panic button stuff in my eyes. Why? Because all NHL players changing systems need a little adjustment period. And where you're acquired one day and suiting up for a new team and meeting new teammates the next day, and then you're thrown out there in the bright lights against a team in Dallas that has been really, really good lately. That is a Western Conference playoff caliber team that has played some of its best hockey lately. Rod Brindamore actually said he was mostly happy with the team's work ethic. Now, no, nobody liked the final score, 4-1 stars, but Aho and Svechnikov extended their long point streaks. They're both making history in different ways. Aho, the longest point streak in franchise history. Svechnikov, one of the greatest streaks for any teenager in the history of the NHL. So more good than bad as the Canes still hover right around the playoff bubble in the NHL. Rough start for Brady Shea, but he'll get better. Rough night, by the way, with Dougie Hamilton and Brett Pesci now both hurt. You know, who are the Canes' best defensemen in anybody's opinion? I would start with Jacob Slavin. I know he was the replacement all-star, but to me he's been the best defenseman overall for the Canes for a few years now. If you said Dougie Hamilton, it's not like I'm going to fight you in an alley. The guy had a great season before his injury and was the Canes' all-star selection prior to not being able to play, of course, because of that injury. Dougie Hamilton, importantly, was not put on the special injury list that would have shelved him for the remainder of the season. They chose not to do that, meaning they hope to have him back at some point next month. Brett Pesci's injury up at Toronto on David Ayer's night, right? Our guest from yesterday, the emergency backup goalie, was the star of the show, and the Canes beat the Leafs. So it kind of got a little less attention that Brett Pesci, who I would also put among the top three defensemen for the Carolina Hurricanes, he had a serious shoulder injury. We don't know exactly how serious, but we know it's not a short-term thing. Peter Morazic, GM Don Waddell said, probably will be back soon. They're not even sure if it's correctly called a concussion or not. He hasn't had such issues in the past. They're optimistic that Peter Morazic could be back very soon. So you're probably not going to have to see a lot of Alex Nedeljkovic or Anton Forsberg, the two guys called up from the Charlotte Checkers, to be between the pipes now that James Reimer and Peter Morazic are at least out in the short term. Hayden Flurry and Joel Edmondson are veteran defensemen at this stage of their career, and they didn't look very good last night against the Dallas Stars. Now, they're not supposed to be stars, but when you're missing two of your top three, Dougie Hamilton and Brett Pesci, again, neither back soon, Jacob Slavin is still the rock of stability. You need several others to step up. It's got to be the better version of Fleury or Edmondson than we saw last night. It's got to be a better version of the new guy, again, who had an acceptable rough night last night because he's learning on the go, but has to be better than that moving forward. For those wondering, the other defenseman acquisition did not play because he's not healthy yet. So Brady Shea came from the Rangers. He's a $5 million a year guy. 
that the Canes sent a first-round pick to the Rangers for. He's 25 years old. He had a great NHL debut a few years ago. Hasn't been as good lately, but the Canes believe he can get back to that early career promise. Similarly, Sammy Votnin from the Devils, not yet healthy enough to play. He's another $5 million a year type guy, as is Vinny Trocek. Trocek. So all three of those guys are going to have to be important come March as the Canes try to get from slightly on the wrong side of the playoff line to back on the right side. Sarah Sivian covers the Canes for The Athletic. She joins us next on The David Glenn Show. Jerome Robinson, are you a hugger or a handshake guy? How does it work if Adam Silver is waiting for you? I really don't know. I I hope it's not awkward. (laughs) Um, You know, I hope it's not like a hand-to-hug-to-hand kind of thing, but I don't know. I might just mess around and just hug him. No hands. I think he's a hugger. You're listening to The David Glenn Show.